Um, okay, hello and welcome to the Daily Bible Reading Show. Uh, let's pick up from Genesis chapter 3. I need to get my Bible. Uh, okay, all right. Um, Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say... Um, actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And neither shall you touch it lest you die. So we begin in Genesis chapter 3 with this kind of like conversation between a talking snake and the woman. And the snake is trying to do uh, this thing where he talks about something that God said, you know, did God actually say this? You know, did God actually say, uh, you shall not eat any tree in the garden? So here they are in Eden. They're surrounded by all these trees, all these fruits. And... On one hand, it sounds really, really silly. You know, he, 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 he's, he's saying something that is overtly false. You know, did God really say you can't eat from any of these trees? When it's kind of obvious that like, the point of them being surrounded by all these trees is that, you know, it's there for food. It's not just decoration. It's there to be enjoyed. And God provided this. So immediately, the woman replies, um, we may, you know, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. So good job. Well done. So the woman kind of like corrects the serpent uh, in his wrong uh, theology, although I think it's intentional, you know, no, 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 God actually is very, very good, very, very generous. He's provided us all these trees for food, for our enjoyment right here in Eden. Uh, but then she adds something else, and this is verse uh, 3. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. So yes, the woman disagrees with the serpent, but on a deeper level, she kind of goes, Hmm, maybe you do have a point, because God did say something about that one tree. All the other trees we can enjoy, we can eat from. But God did say there is, is this one tree that we're not allowed to eat from, and she has not even touched it. Um, God didn't say anything about that. <laughs> but she buys into this premise that maybe, you know what, God's word isn't all that good. God's word isn't all that generous. And I think that then is kind of like the sneakiness of the serpent. The serpent plants this thought in your head, kind of like inception, plants this thought that maybe, hmm, maybe God isn't as good as he seems, God isn't as generous, and maybe we should question God's word. Hmm. Really, really interesting. Yeah. Um, actually, it's kind of interesting that he's talking about God as well, <laughs> talking about God's word. Uh, almost like... Uh, almost like he's doing Bible study. Yeah, did God actually say this? You know, you're talking about something that God said behind God's back, um, but you're talking with the intention of understanding God, but misunderstanding God. I think, I think that's his intention. He's trying to cast doubt into the truth, into the goodness of God's word. 
And I think already um, it shows that when we do something like this, like like this, you know, we're, we're we're talking about something that God said, something that God gave us in His Word. It's possible to do it in such a way with the intention of already rejecting God in our hearts, or you just trying to find fault with God. And I think uh, that then is the power of the serpent. It's in lies. You know, he doesn't have some power, some some ESP power to tempt us. You know, to be able to sway us. He just uses lies and he twists God's words. And it's when we believe these lies, it's then that we give power to these words. We give power to the serpent. Who, who, by the way, you know, you know, is the devil, right? You know, the serpent here is describing the devil, but as one of just the creatures that God made. You know, it's just a creature. It's not another god. It's not, not another deity. Has no power, but is very, very sneaky and is able to use words to sway us, to cast doubt, to cast the shadow on God's word, on God's goodness. And he continues, verse four. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Ah, okay. God knows that when you eat of this one tree, you're not supposed to eat from. And if you eat of it, whoa, your eyes are going to be opened. You're going to be like God's level of smartness, of knowledge. You can know good and evil. Um, and the first thing that he questions is God's, um, God's judgment. God's judgment. You will not surely die. <clears throat> yeah. The first thing he questions, you know, causes us to doubt is, you know, God says he'll punish us if we do this. God says there are consequences that we will die. We will suffer if we go against his word. And he says, you know, actually not that bad, you know. Why, why take that so seriously? Or maybe he doesn't mean it. And maybe God is trying to hide something from you that is actually very, very good. And the woman buys into this. She doesn't say anything, but she acts on these words. Verse six. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, you know, her desires justified her actions. And so um, she decided to act on it. Um, uh, she took off its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Ah, so very interesting. Her husband was with her. This whole conversation is not just her and the serpent, but Adam was with her, not saying anything, being very quiet just going along with the conversation and when the woman took the fruit and ate it, that was one thing, but then she passes it on to him and he, he just went along with it silently. And um, shows a kind of culpability, I think, um, kind of complicitness in this sin. Uh, but but it, it, it's just worth asking, what is sin? You know, what is this thing called, um, in my Bible it has the title, the fall. What is this fall? And again, uh, it has to do with God's word. It has to do with believing the lies of the serpent. But it, at the heart of it, and I'm getting this from verse six, you know, it's the woman seeing something that she decides is good. 
No, it's her making this judgment call. It's her deciding over God's judgment, over God's word, that her word is the one that rules her life. Essentially, um, what sin is not and what sin is, sin is not just breaking a rule. Sin is making up your own rules. Sin is not just going against God, but sin is wanting to be like God. And that is then the heart of their sin, the heart of our sin as well. And whenever we do something that we know is bad, we shouldn't do it, um, the way that we overcome that guilt or that conscience is that we justify it. Say, you know, actually, I, I think this is, for me, the right thing to do. Isn't it? I mean, that's something that goes on in my head, at least. You know, I justify it. I say, actually, this will be really, really good for me, for my career, for my advancement, for my knowledge, for just the betterment of myself. And it's the exception to the rule. And so she just, just decided that this was something that was good for her. She made that judgment call. And that is the essence of sin, is wanting to be like God, wanting to displace God, especially when it comes to his word. I think it's when we come into contact with something that God says, uh, we doubt it, we don't like it, and we come up with an alternative. You know, that, that is the heart of sin, us taking that place that only God can fill in our lives. As a result, verse 7, then the eyes of both were opened and they knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin cloths, um, underpants, <laughs> out of leaves. Um, so desperate. I think they just needed to cover themselves immediately. Uh, and I think their eyes were opened. You know, in a way, what the serpent said was half true. You know, your eyes will be opened. Uh, but also completely untrue. They weren't like God. In, in fact, they were far from um, that perspective that God had over knowledge of good and evil. You know, um, God knows it because he knows what is good and what is evil, but they know it from the perspective of having done evil, having gone against the good. And so their eyes were open and they saw, what they saw was their own sin. What they saw was the wrong that he did. And um, it says there they knew they were naked. So I guess what they saw was that shame that they'd committed. And I think this is a kind of shame that they realized they have before God, but also one another. I think this covering up is just them going, oh, wow, you know, I don't want to see that thing from you. I don't want you to see this thing in me. And this is a contrast to the end of chapter two. The men, the man and his wife were both naked and um, they were not ashamed, but now they were ashamed because they were vulnerable. They could see everything. And what they saw was something that was sinful, that was dirty, but also now broke that that, 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 that relationship that they had with one another and with God. So this fall then is a fall from that kind of relationship that is pure and unrestricted and that is just holy. And now it's something that we feel, oh, I don't want you to see the side of me. Um, and it's ugly and I'm ashamed of it. I need to cover up. And uh, I think already, uh, it, we'll just pause there. There's more to chapter three, it's really, really long, but just worth thinking about how that feels when we sin. And the, the inst that instinct to cover up 
and to hide from one another, I think that affects our relationships. I think that's really the thing that comes between us and one another when we feel we can't be honest, we can't tell one another these things that we've done. And really, I think what it highlights is the way out of this kind of sin is not going back. It's not going back to a position whereby we are completely open, we're completely pure, because when we are completely open now, we just see more of our sin. But we need a way forward that involves God taking away our sin, taking away our shame, and um, giving us instead his righteousness and his forgiveness. And it's a point of forward to Jesus um, on the cross. You know, Jesus died a horrible death. You know, they killed him. It was very, very painful. But one thing about the cross was that it was very, very shameful. They stripped him completely off all his clothes. And there's something about that nakedness of Jesus on the cross, that shame that he bore, um, that says that actually that's where our shame went. You know, it went on him and he took it for us so that he gives us and said all his purity, all his goodness, all his holiness. And now we have back that access to God and to one another as forgiven sinners through Christ. Um, yeah. Um, yep, so that, thanks for joining me. That's been uh, just a quick reflection from Genesis chapter three, verses one to seven, only you know, more to come. Yeah. <laughs> Take care and God bless. Bye.